Hey, 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 what's going on, everyone? You are now listening to Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, and we are here with R.J. Zimmerman, podcast host, like just all around great person, the epitome of like being better every single day. Like, I I hope you know that you get better every single day. Uh, I've... I really appreciate that. You made me blush like right away. So <laughs> I appreciate that very much. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. You know, I just like to get flowers where flowers are due. And in the brief time that we've known each other, you you being in my orbit has definitely made a positive impact on on me and how I show up in my life. So I appreciate that from you. I uh, I appreciate that because you've had the same effect on me. Like right away it was like when you introduced yourself and you talked about what you were talking about i was like oh this is like almost mirrors right and um every piece of content that i see that you put put out like i told you this um last week early or earlier this week that listening to it fills my cup up and that's something that is so few and far between in this world right now that i needed it and it just gave me the spark, and I I appreciate you as well. So well, thank I you so much for that. that. Of course, of course. Thank you, RJ. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is RJ Zimmerman. Um, I'm 35 years old. I'm a podcast host of Untapped Keg. I'm an alcoholic, father of two young children, and um, I've recently just found out that. It, if you allow your emotions to happen, there's a lot of strength there that you don't realize. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Um, when I'm one of my biggest things, and I think I, I say, I know I say it all the time is feel your feelings, you know, mm-hmm. feel your feelings. And, you know, whether it's, it's rage, you want to be upset. Um, also know when to celebrate and to, when to feel joy and, you know, feel it all. I believe that. But I'm gonna we're gonna rewind real quick because um you your bio just said it all and we're gonna go back to alcoholic because uh that's something I can can relate to myself. So let's let's just we're gonna just jump right in, RJ, okay? Okay. Um when, how, why alcoholic. Like, okay, you, you're able to say that, right? With, with, um, with your strength, you know, your vulnerability. Um, when did this start happening for you? It was after I started the podcast. I never, I never said the word alcoholic until about, I think it was a year, maybe eight months into the podcast. So we started the podcast because when I went sober, I listened to Chris Hardwick's podcast, Nerdist, and he he interviewed celebrities and it wasn't about sobriety, but every once in a while I talked about being sober. And he never called himself an alcoholic, I don't think either, but um, listening to his stories, especially when he went sober and he talked about like when he first made the decision 
to go sober, it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And I didn't do AA. I went cold turkey. I'm lucky that I'm really stubborn. So like that's that's basically how I did it to start. And um, we're about eight to twelve months into the podcast, and uh, I host it with my brother-in-law, and he is in he he's done a lot of therapy and i mean i've i've started doing therapy now too but um he really started working on that side of himself and he would talk about alcoholism and he became a recovery coach as well and um he would call himself an alcoholic and i still didn't and then one episode we started talking and i'm like yeah i'm an al alcoholic and it it was a little bit of a stumble like that but the more that I talk about it and the more I use the word, it I've taken the power back from the word than it had over me. Like it, when people, I wouldn't even tell people I was sober. I'd tell people I don't drink. Like for the first six years. Um, so I'm eight years sober. Um, I've had no slip ups, no relapses. Um, it's not, it hasn't always been easy. Uh, that's kind of, we think that it gets easier over time, but that's not, not the case at all. And, um, yeah, it took, it took me a long time to say that word. And when I did, like I said, it was, it took a little while for me to take the power back over it. And now it's, I'm trying to remove the stigma. I'm not trying as hard as others. Like, um, so there's a unashamed alcoholic, their podcast, um, and there's some others that are taking, trying to take that word back, but you know, it's just, it's not who I am and it's not a problem, but it is a part of myself. <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's kind of where I get that from my, from my chest a little bit about that too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. When did you, so you, you're eight years sober first, congratulations. Thank you. you no, know, that's there. That's something that's. I know it's not easy. No, it's not easy. Um, so congratulations, and from the bottom of my heart, proud of you. Um, Thank you. Of course, of course. When did you start drinking? What was the What was the turning point that you knew your your drinking turned into to alcoholism? Um, it was college. So. I knew, so my dad has not drank, as he would say, for probably coming up on 30 years. He's probably 28 years without a drink, um, and, but we never really talked about it growing up. However, I knew, like seeing my uncles, uh, his father as well, that there were drinking challenges in the family. Um, so knowing this, like going through high school, grade school, I was very, um, nervous about drinking and I was a big athlete. So I played, uh, baseball and basketball and I was worried about getting caught. I was like, if I get caught, I cannot miss a game. Like my life didn't revolve around school. It revolved around sports. So whatever <laughs> I had to do to stay on that field. Right. And, uh, I drank first time that I got drunk was, uh, my senior year of high school. It was at homecoming and, uh, I remember that first like feeling like getting that buzz mm -hmm. 
and just it was like my mind quieted down like all this anxiety that i didn't know was there just disappeared and i could just be myself and it felt like for the first time like i could be myself and then on top of that everybody who was there like everybody whose attention that i had uh wanted like to be honestly my friend to like ask me to go to the parties to ask me to go to things outside of school they all thought i was they thought i was fun they thought you i was the, cool i was about to say you were the fun guy yep so then so like it's like oh my like yes th this is fantastic um and then i didn't drink again until after graduation that was the only time i drank during that year um over that summer i drank a few times my third time ever getting drunk so i grew up in wisconsin and it's legal there to give your kids alcohol, no matter what age they are. Wow. Okay. And it I didn't know that. Like, Fun fact, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like the the drinking culture in Wisconsin is one of its own. Like it is. Maybe the Irish have pretty close to this, a similar culture, but for real, like it's everything revolves around drinking. And um, I was eighteen at one of my dad's work parties. I was like, Hey, could I have a drink? He's like, sure. You want to mountain do? I'm like, no, could I have a, a drink? And then I asked for, I can't remember what I got, but it was probably like Southern comfort or something. Oh goodness. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to get him so drunk. He's going to be hung over the next morning. So I ended up having like 20 shots with my dad's coworkers, like five drinks. This is the third time I'm ever getting drunk and I'm just putting them back. And all of his coworkers were just like, cheer like kind of cheering me on like yeah awesome look at the kid go um almost like it was a rite of passage mm -hmm. and then i also i worked with him so um i was summer help at the company he worked at so i come walking in the next morning and everybody's like oh how are you feeling today i'm like what do you mean i'm fine they're like you no headache or anything i'm like no what are we doing today you know are we going out to the field am i gonna go off on my own they're like oh well that's pretty nice. Must be nice to be young. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, that just kind of, uh, gave me the, it made it seem like I was the cool fun guy again. Right. Like I was mm -hmm. getting that acceptance that I yearned for, um, when I was a little kid and in college, it just snowballed. It was like, um, school always came easy to me. So if I went to class, I didn't have to study very much and I would get good grades. Um, so I just stopped going to class and started partying because if I'm getting good grades just by going to class, then I don't need to go to class to pass. And it, by the time, um, I was a senior, I knew which bars Monday night had the dollar beers, which bars Tuesday nights had the, uh, $5 long Island iced teas, like every single night we were going out and drinking okay. and it was, it turned into, I blacked out every single time I drank. Um, I never got out of that stage. So I knew it was a problem that I was drinking so much. I would, I would wake up in the morning, not know what I did for hours at a time. Some, sometimes no idea where I am. Like I woke up naked and I, a house I had no recollection of ever being in more than once. And it's like, who do I have to apologize to? Who, 
who was I mean to? Who did I, who did I hurt? Like there was a lot of shame in the mornings. Yeah. So I started cutting back on the amount of times that I drank. Um, my last. But you two... still drink just as much, just not. Yes. Timely as much. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So. I tried to do the moderation. I tried to have one or two drinks, but every single time that I had one drink, I had to have another, had to have another, had to have another. And it just, I drank until I blacked out. And for the last three years that I drank, there wasn't a night that I drank that I didn't black out. And I might've drank twice a month at that point, but I'm making really bad decisions. I'm mm. drinking and driving. I'm, you know, sleeping with a lot of women, like no care in the world of what's going on, hating myself in the morning when I wake up. Yeah. I mean, legitimately hating myself when I look in the mirror and that lasted for a long time. It's like, what am I doing with my life? I, the only reason I'm still here today is sheer luck. The only reason I've had the opportunities in my life, is sheer luck. The fact that drinking never came back to bite me. Part of it is because I was grew up in Wisconsin. The other part is just I'm lucky. Yeah. I I never got pulled over, never got into an accident, never. It's just I wish that I could say that I made good decisions, but there were very few good decisions that I made. So my first two day hangover can't keep anything down. I'd been having like micro sobriety bouts where I would stop drinking for like two months at a time here, three months at a time there. I go out and I just get obliterated and, um, I wake up and I knew I was that annoying person at some point in the night. Like I kind of remember the end of the night. I don't remember anything up until that I'm in a house that I don't know with people I don't know, but I know that they liked me up until that point yeah but then it was like i was the annoying drunk person and my hometown's so small i was like two blocks from my house so i just walked to my parents house yeah nobody was there i was home alone i pretty much the entire next day spent the day throwing up and sleeping and i was supposed to go back home for with my girlfriend at the time and do something and i was just like i'm not gonna make it she's like i figured i figured yeah. when you went back home you weren't coming back and it was like oh do i do i want a family like i'm i'm a pos like i i got nothing going for me i have a dead-end job that i hate i wanted to be a lineman at that time work with high voltage electricity mm-hmm. it's like i so you have to have a cdl to do that take calls at any time of the night I can be able to do that. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's become a big issue. Yeah. And so in the middle of not being able to even keep water down until two in the morning, the next day, I'm just like, this has to be it. And so when I made that decision, I only told, I think three people that I made that decision. And luckily two of them were like, yep, perfect. Let's do this. I'm here for you. And, uh, one of them was my best friends. And if he didn't get on board as much as he did, like with our other friends, like I said, drinking is a massive part of the culture. Yeah. 
if our other friends offered me a beer and we're like, come on, you can have one. One's not going to hurt you. He would step in between and he would say, no, he's not drinking. Oh, that's such a hell of a support system, RJ. I, like I said, it was, it was luck sometimes. It was not always skill. And oh, that's so great. I, I avoided a lot of the triggers. I didn't go out to bars. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go out with certain friends that we would get obliterated with together. I only went to places basically with my girlfriend and with my, my best friend that I talked about. And that was it. And, um, you know, it was like probably a year or so of that. No, no, it was, it was about six months of that. I'd say. And then, then I was okay with being around people while they drank, Mm -hmm. but as soon as they got to a certain point, I just ghosted. I I didn't even say bye. I was just not, I'm out. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I can't. And, uh, that's kind of how it was for about six years until we decided to start the podcast. Wow. Wow. Well, like (laughs) a lot of people say you can do a lot of things by yourself. And, and you absolutely can, because at the end of the day, you did make the decision. Ultimately, you did. But you surrounded yourself with individuals who held you up and held you accountable and had your back. That's something that some people don't have. A lot of people, whether, whether we're talking drinking, whether we're talking about overeating or undereating or any type of... Uh, I won't say any type of crutch, any type of, um, I would say toxic coping mechanism, toxic coping mechanism. That's kind of how I've started to define it because Mm -hmm. what I did was I took, I went from alcohol to work. Oh, you became a workaholic. So I didn't focus on why I drank the way I drank. Didn't even think about it. Didn't, it didn't occur to me that that is something I should think about. So like, um, I threw myself into work or, and then a video game called destiny came out and I played it with a bunch of my friends from high school. And we, we looked back at the time we put into that game and we're like, what were we thinking? (laughs) We were all in our mid to late twenties at the time. And we would, we would probably on weekends put in at least eight hours a day, maybe 10. Wow. And I mean, like not eat while playing kind of hours. Just and sitting there, just going at it for hours. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, we're all in different cities. And at this point, like that game, it, we could play together and just have fun like we used to. Mm-hmm. And Okay. That's understandable. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it, it it does sound understandable, but at the same time, it's like a little ridiculous. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was fun and it's more, it's less destructive Mm -hmm. than drinking was, Yeah. but I never honestly till like the past five or six months, I did not address the reason that I drank like I drank. And I just kind of went from one coping mechanism to another and turning it toxic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, a few things I want to touch on 
Yep. Now you said you played baseball and you played basketball. Mm-hmm. What positions did you play? Um, in basketball, I was a guard forward. Um, so I was six two, and you know, small town Wisconsin that's pretty tall. But I still had a little bit of uh, I had I wouldn't say ball handling skills, but I could pass really well. Gotcha. So they put and I I had a really good shot too. So I was out at guard a lot, but I wasn't afraid to mix it up with the big guys either. So. Um, I'd get down with the forwards and then baseball, I was center fielder, center field. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and I was defensively, I was, I was a maniac. It was, uh, Russian balls and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I was like a little puppy out there. It's like, you just got to catch the ball. Got to get it. (laughs) (laughs) I love, those are two sports that I love. Um, baseball and, and basketball. I grew up playing both and in softball as well. Um, what positions did you play? I played third base. Um, I played shortstop and I played power forward. Okay. In basketball. Yeah. All right. The hot corner and short. So you, you got some, uh, reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love, and I, and I was really big in the paint too. Like I'm not, I wasn't the biggest girl whatsoever. But mm-hmm. when it came to getting boards, getting those rebounds, um, I had I got a lot of body to to, to use. <laughs> so I was defense. Me and yeah. my wife, you we play. Um, and she was, um, she was like, like top in her um state when she was playing high school. So we like go blow for blow. We both walk away with bloody noses and stuff like that. It's a good time. <laughs> You're still competitive. I feel that. I feel it's that. a good time. It's a good time. <laughs> um, okay. When you go, I want to go back to when you were drinking with, um, with your father and, and his coworkers where you were interning. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did that experience develop your manhood i um i like how you put that because um it felt like a rite of passage right it felt like um especially the way they were reacting like i said kind of like cheering me on and like Mm -hmm. laughing and everything that happened it felt like going from being the little boy rj to I'm turning into a man, RJ and being raised really heavily in toxic masculinity. Um, that was a feeling that I craved. Okay. That was something that, uh, you know, I didn't experience a lot of, like, I almost, I could almost feel like my dad being proud a little bit that I was holding my own like that. And, uh, he also thought it was funny that I was drinking his coworkers under the table. So there was, there was definitely a lot of that feeling. And I think back on it now, and I'm still proud of that moment. Like there's still a little bit of pride there, which is, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a turning point in like my mindset and everything, but, um, so it's, it's, it is a little bit sad that I feel some pride there, but at the same time, I was really proud in that moment. And honestly, it was one of the few times in my life up till that point, or until honestly, I became a lineman that I was proud of myself. So. Gotcha. Okay. 
All right. So over the from the past few years, what are you most proud of? I would say how good of a father I am. Mm -hmm. um, that's number one. What I'm I'm the amount of patience that I show. So my I have two boys, and they're four and two and a half. And uh, I have a lot of patience with them. Um, not not all the time, you know. It can be rough, especially with them being so close in age. Yeah. But um, I allow for the imagination and the creativity. Um, I show them my love. I don't just tell them. I show them. I play with them. But I also allow the emotions. When they get emotional, that's okay. Like, yes, you get to be emotional. And we talk about what they're emotional about. We we talk about those emotions. Like, obviously, it starts with happy, mad, sad. But now we've started talking about frustrated. We've started talking about annoyed. We've started talking about um, feeling guilty and uh, other emotions like that. We're getting more into it rather than just, like... For me, it was happy or mad. That's all you were allowed to be, and you were allowed to pretty much only be mad. Yeah. There was no you had to cap your happiness to at a certain point because then you were being arrogant and gloating if you were too happy. So, and um, there's that, and then I explain everything to them. So if we can't splash in puddles, well, why can't we splash in puddles? Because it's cold outside right now. And if you get wet and it's cold, you're going to get sick. And I don't want you to get sick. And I know you don't want to be sick. Mm -hmm. Well, if you put your boots on, you can walk through the puddles, right? So if I can explain to them why they can't do something, they know that they, they learn the reason why. But also, like, I know that I'm making the decision because it's the decision that should be made and not because I just don't want to deal with it as a parent. Like... Yeah. Uh, about a month and a half ago, probably, uh, we're, I still put my boys to bed. So I was laying with them in bed and I looked and my oldest nails were long. So I was like, Oh, tomorrow we have to trim your nails. And he goes, why? And I said, because I said so. And he goes, what does that mean? And I said, trim your nails. Well, we trim your nails because, uh, that, you know, they're too long. You know, one day he takes a trimmer and he clips it. Sometimes you cry because you think it's going to hurt, but you realize it doesn't. And he goes, no, what does because I said so mean? Wow. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never said that to you before, have I? And I said, that just means that daddy's really tired. So the reason we need to trim your fingernails, and then I explained it. You know, we don't want you scratching yourself, other kids getting dirt underneath. He's like, oh, okay. But I was like. I honestly had a little bit of a tear, man. Like I've never said that to him before, and he's four. That's fantastic. Um, because like our parents, that was the standard because yeah. I said so. And mm -hmm. then there was no there was nothing after that. Um I think if, on if there was anything, at least for me, if there was anything, it was gonna be a hand, right? A hand, like something. It's gonna and it was gonna hurt. You're, yeah. Has any either of your parents ever say like while you're crying say, um, cut out that crying 
or I'm gonna give you a reason to cry. Every time. Like Every how? Time. How? <laughs> how was that? like? I have to laugh because that is so traumatic. That is yes. so traumatic. You're telling me I just got punished for doing something I probably shouldn't have been doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just got punished. That punishment hurt. And then you're telling me that if I'm sh- I'm showing that I'm in pain, that you're going to give me more pain? Wow. I just... And sometimes I didn't even get those words. I just got the hand. It just happened. Right? Oh, man. Uh, uh. I could, we could talk forever about the the shortcomings of our parents and I just chalk it up to saying that they they did the best that they could do with what they knew at the time that is how I make that's how I justify it same that's that's how I justify it and that's um the one thing that with my parents like I've brought it up to them before like uh, they just, oh, I guess I was the worst parent in the world then is their response. And it's like, well, no, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I just said this was not something that worked well for me, especially now. And, um, it's just like, it's still, I don't know if it's from a place of guilt or what it is, but they just don't, they don't want to hear it. I think it's. I think it's coming from a place of, I think it's coming from a place of guilt. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's also coming from a place where did my child just say that to me? (laughs) Like, yeah. Did I just get checked? (laughs) Like, because I, I handled that situation wrong. What, what kills me is that we can explain something that, you know, our parents did wrong. And whether they believe it's wrong or not, which usually is because trauma, childhood adversity, like there's so many signs, like I'm a, I'm a shoot, I'm, I'm going to shoot this RJ and tell me yeah. if I, tell me if I sink this three, um, your drinking was tied into your childhood by some way, shape or form. Absolutely. Yeah. Bang. Three point. Yep. And so that's something that I did not think about or look into until like, honestly, back in November, I finally started to be like, you know what? That did affect me. And that probably like this moment, which, you know, there's probably like 10 moments in our life. Like Mm -hmm. I'm 35. So there's probably 10 moments leading up to this that have really been key moments that kind of went, I went one way when I could have also gone another way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those moments are honestly from before I was 12. Yeah. And, uh, I've come to the realization that just because I've, I had some, as you said, adversity didn't mean Mm -hmm. I had a bad childhood. Yeah. And a, a lot of people, I would say, especially the older generation thinks that you either had a good childhood or you didn't. There's no in between. And it's if you had trauma in your life, that means you had a terrible childhood. And it's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, no, I know some children who had really bad upbringing, like bad. Yeah. I don't think 
my upbringing was bad, but of course there was some childhood adversity. There was some childhood Mm -hmm. drama that I think that comes with the generation, the age that we are. I'm 33. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't know many people around our age who hasn't faced some type of traumatic incident in their lives. Now, not saying that their their childhood was bad, but they did face some type of adversity growing up, which molded them into or kind of into the person they are today. Yeah. That's just- I mean, absolutely. It's, you nailed it right there. Like that's, that's where, that's where I think like I've kind of gone from talking about sobriety and mental health, um, to like, wait a second. It's not just drinking and sobriety. It's like, it's the coping mechanisms that we fell into that we turned toxic because they're negative in our lives right now. Mm-hmm. Like my relationship with al- alcohol was unhealthy. There are people who have a healthy relationship with alcohol. So is alcohol inherently evil? I mean, we could debate that, but there are some people that can handle alcohol. And just because I'm an alcoholic does not mean that there's something wrong with me. It doesn't mean that I'm broken. It just means that that one thing I can't partake in because it, it, it changes who I am. And I don't like that person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, we just, we just touched on so much right there. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let. Hey, 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 y'all. Listen, it is time for some action. If you are enjoying the content that you've been listening to, I need you to rate and review. That's it. That's all. Make sure you go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review it for us. We appreciate you so much. Let's get back to some resilience. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. Okay. Um, what can you think of a time where you had to use resilience to help you through a certain situation? That's that has nothing to do with drinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. So being a lineman, uh, working high voltage electricity, when that, the power goes out, we're who you call like, um, and not a lot of people understand that it's not all along the road. You can get in a bucket and go up. Um, you know, I've had to going through the apprenticeship. It's a lot of toxic energy. Um, it's a lot of, well, how do you not know this? Like, this is common sense. It's like, well, you learned it and now you've just known it for 30 years. What do you mean that it's just, (laughs) you know it. So I, they like going through, they knew that my dad was also a lineman. Um, they knew I was a city kid and I didn't work on a farm. Um, sometimes I come off as condescending. Um, especially like if I, 
if I know a subject and I can tell that I know a little bit more than you, like, I'm just going to tell you you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people with egos that you can't do that. So they made, um, they were not easy on me. They made life pretty, pretty difficult for me at work. Yeah. Um, to the point where like, I was more stressed out in like this four month period than I was almost at any time in my life. Like I couldn't sleep. I wasn't eating very much. I was, I would wake up, uh, Sunday night, Monday mornings, like in cold sweats from fear of having to go into work, but I just had to do it because I needed to put food on the table. I needed to get through it because I wasn't going to be with that crew forever. And it was just trying to, trying not to get through, just getting through like the day it was getting through the next half hour. It was make it to lunch. All right, make it to the end of the day. Okay. Try to get to, you know, try to relax the night while well, that wasn't happening. All right. Same thing. Make it to lunch, make it to the next day. Sometimes make it through that task that we had to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it really was hard. And I, I can, I can put on a pretty good poker face. So a lot of people, I don't think realized how hard it was, but like from that moment on, I'm not the type of person who I blaze a path and I burn it behind me. I blaze that path and I yell back, Hey, come on, follow me. Yeah. And so any apprentice that I saw who was having a rough time, I would take a side and I would be like, Hey, here are some things that I learned that helped me deal with these people. Hey, this is how you do this task. And he won't bother you about it anymore. Kind of like that thing. And there's a lot of people that are like, well, I went through this, so you should go through it too. It's like, why? You, Why you should have this? gone through that so I don't have to go through it. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's that's how I feel our generation reacts though too. Like I I talked about this. So, you know, Twitter spaces? Yeah, yep. Okay. So I've been in a lot of Twitter spaces and like I, uh, with a lot of my friends that I have met through like Twitch and uh, the podcast and stuff. And I just talked about how I feel like our generation is the first generation where the older generations, they keep kicking the can down the road. That's the problem. Keep kicking the can. I feel like our generation is like, no, this can is an issue. Let's deal with it. Mm -hmm. So we are yeah. spotlighting mental health. We are looking, wait, we should not be working 50 hours a week without any pay. We should not be working full time and not be able to afford rent or food or any of this, like everybody deserves to live with dignity. Like these are, these are problems we are talking about. And a lot of the other generation, well, that's the way it always has been. So why should it be any different? You, and, and I, th I think they feel like you said, they, they had to deal with it. So why should we improve it? Like, and it's yeah. like I said, like I said, with our parents, like they did the best they could at that time. Um, with what they had, they had to deal with the, the nagging boss and the, the, the boss who touched women's butts and stuff yeah. like that. Like, Sometimes no, worse, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and then here we come, right here. 
here we come. <laughs> no, yeah. this, this isn't happening. Like we actually, I think I know I read somewhere that I think starting with starting with our generation, we actually look for work that serves a purpose that has that's meaningful, not just, mm -hmm. you know, clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out. Like, I mean. We're yeah. not working to live, right? Or living to, we're not living to work. We're working, working to, to live. live. Like I go to work so I can have a good life. I don't go to work so I can survive. Yep. And I think that's where our parents and us disconnect. They were going to work so they can survive. And we were like, no, that's, that's not, that's why there's so many like mental health issues and and stuff like that and you you work our dads are at work and they work for this horrible guy and they come home and they take it out on us mm -hmm. stuff like that yep we 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 change the narrative um from some toxic stuff that we just weren't dealing with anymore kudos to us yeah i agree and you know like uh so in the utility industry they're really uh trying to figure out how to deal with this, deal with it, right? We have to be on call 24 seven. They expect us to put aside our family. And if that phone rings, we say, how high? Like, we're not asking, wait, why am I jumping there? Like, mm -hmm. hold on, I'm with my family. No, you're gonna wait to till they're in bed or whatever. And they're like, well, the older generation did this. Why are you having so many issues? What do you? The, you know, the older generation like didn't make it to retirement. What do you mean? Why are we like, doing Do you this? see? Do you see? <laughs> are you? Are we looking at the same eyes? Yeah. <laughs> so like they're be. trying to they're trying to figure out ways to force us to do this, and it's like, no, I'm gonna live, and if part of that is you know sometimes on my off hours I'll go in, but yeah, here's some something else. Like I was in a district that was supposed to have five guys. There was only two of us, only two of us. I worked every single weekend out of pride that was drilled into me for some reason. I worked every single weekend except for two for pretty much the entire year. Wow. And it was at, usually it was at like between the hours of 10 PM and 6 AM. And I, it was, I was burned out for like two years. It took to finally get to a point where I felt mentally back in the game. Mm -hmm. and what, did you, you, what did you use to get mentally back in the game? Um, you know, it was, so that was right before we started the podcast. So like we started the gotcha. podcast. Gotcha. Um, I picked up cooking. So like, you know, that was something that I did a little bit was I picked up new hobbies when I got sober, but I figured out that I like to cook. I just don't know. I don't understand how to shop for the ingredients and not let them go bad. Okay. So I did blue apron when my oldest son was born. I'm like three meals a week are going to be taken care of. I don't have to shop. Like it comes right to the door through that. I discovered my love. Like I love cooking and I love it when I can cook and I can make it taste good. So now it has taught me how to shop for decent ingredients and to shop 
for multiple meals mm-hmm. so that I, I can cook them and then, you know, improving my knife skills so that it doesn't take me an hour and a half per meal. It only takes me, you know, 30 to 50 minutes to cook. Yes. So like, that's been, that has also been huge. Like that's a big stress reliever for me is cooking. Nice. Okay. Um, question about like your apprenticeship, mm-hmm. how many women were in, in there? Um, two, two women in the entire company. So there were two women, um, line techs, I should say in uh-huh. the entire company. Um, I want to say 170 people. There were probably two women and maybe three people of color. And this is all in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. right? In Wisconsin. But those communities exist. There's just gates set up. Yeah. All of the technical colleges where, I shouldn't say all, 95% of technical colleges where you go to uh, line school are out in the country. They're in small towns. Gotcha. There is no, it's only 30 minutes from Madison. And then the Milwaukee one is only 10 minutes outside of Milwaukee, but guess what? There's no bus that goes to and from the schools. Of course. And even like Beloit, uh, Beloit and Janesville, it's pretty close to Beloit. But again, the campus is out in the country. No, there is a bus that goes there, but like you have to get, you have to follow the bus line to like the north side, which is the nice side, and you gotcha. take it out. And it's like, I've I've brought this up, um, because I I did put myself out there. I'm like, we need people of color. Like we should be, we should look more like the communities we serve. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that got met with what kind of. Um, it was a lot of lip service and then they finally put in place a, uh, a program to hire, um, more people of color and women into like, so we did natural gas. So there's natural gas, uh, line work. And then there was designing the jobs where they wanted all three of those to include, um, people of color and women. Uh, I want to say they hired. 10 people, there was one woman and two people of color. And I saw they got hired and the immediate thing was we got hired because he's black. And it's like, why do you think that? Well, because that's what this program's for. So you meet them. Oh, you know, I worked for another utility. I was in the metering department. Like, I don't know the big stuff, but I would like to. And then you hear kind of how he's be, being treated. He's kind of on the outside. It was, he met with a lot of ignorance, um, not necessarily straight up racism, but when I called it out that, Hey, he's not being treated. One of the guys, you need to send him somewhere else. Um, I was ostracized. Like yeah. nobody wanted to talk to me anymore. I had nobody I could call like if I needed help because I was running a crew at the time, my crew was fine with me because I put them first. I always put everybody else first. Uh, I was big on the mental health of our crew, but everybody else was like, oh, he's gonna throw you under the bus. I never went to management and named names. I just said, 
this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Then this is happening. We, yeah. it's, it's your responsibility to train to make the environment better for everybody else. Yeah. I said, we're not in school anymore. There's no teaching and nobody's gonna, nobody is going to go do the research to teach themselves. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to do it. So they put together some training, but it was all done by white people and, um, it it wasn't good. So, and it never changed. And I was like, you know what? My family, so my, my boys are half black. Like we decided that we need to move out of Wisconsin. So we ended up moving to the East coast and it was, it was a great decision. I'm really glad that we did it. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to see that there was a, there was a problem and you did what you could do. And then the moment you realized that not much was changing, no one really wanted to change. You then say, you know what? I'm going to take myself out of this situation. I'm going to take me and my family and we're going to move. Like Mm -hmm. kudos to you for being able to do that. Um, because I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like I said, um, flowers where flowers are due, because I know a lot of people that would have been in your situation that would have been like, well, it's not affecting me. So I'm gonna just keep doing what I do. And before they let him go, I was on the phone. So I had Fridays off. I was on the phone for five or six hours calling yeah. managers like, Hey, he can make it. I see it in him. Like mm-hmm. nobody's taking the time to show him this stuff. Like I took my tools out of the truck and he went and got a notebook and wrote down what every single one was. It's yeah. like the want is there, but he's just not in a situation that is, he's going to succeed in. Yeah. Yeah. And then that Monday he was let go. And you know, the same thing was around the pride flag. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a internal group that sent the pride flag around every site. My manager and my foreman and the, at the time made a big deal about how they weren't going to fly it. And I said, why, mm-hmm. why are we not going to, we're in a very liberal area. Why would we not fly that? You never know who's going to drive past and see it. And they feel comfortable being themselves. Exactly. You know what? They accept me. And it ended up going to a site vote and it was a ba- it was made into a big deal. And I was very, I was very upset at this point that they were so adamant. It wasn't going to fly mm-hmm. passed by one vote that it was going to be put up. I thought for sure it was going to fail, but it ended up passing by one vote. And that was also turned into a big deal. Like, you know, Hey, don't, don't go, don't clue RJ into anything because he's going to turn it against you. He's going to go out there. He's, he's out here ruffling feathers. Like we don't want, we don't want anything to do with him when all you're trying to do is be inclusive. Yep. And being, let everybody know, just be yourself. Yep. Be yourself unapologetically. Awesome. Awesome. RJ, do you have anything, um, that you want to share with our listeners at all? Um, I think something that I've really, I've really come to, uh, appreciate mm-hmm. over the past uh, today, especially like be open to creating and accepting relationships wherever they come from. Yeah. I've met so many people over the past couple of years through the podcast, over the internet, like that you would think 
we used to think, oh, they're over the internet. They're not real friends, right? And that's not the case. Like I've been going through some, uh, I've had some, I've had some rough days, especially this week. And the amount of people that have reached out and like, didn't, they didn't just reach out through text. They sent voice messages. They sent, Hey, I want to have a zoom call with you this weekend. I want to help cheer you up. Like yeah. the amount of love that I have felt from these relationships that I've been more open to has been, it's been eye opening. And the thing is like, I'm in a place now where I believe them. Yeah. It wasn't just, it used to be, it's not just oh, lip service. Yes. It used to be, oh, they're just being nice. Oh, they're just being, yeah. That's how I used to think everybody. Yeah. But now like. I believe them and like, it just, it just, it lifted me up and I needed that. So just be open to the relationships wherever they come from. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Um, RJ, where can we, where can we follow you and how can we, how can we support untapped kegs? So you can go to untappedkeg.com. Um, you'll find our podcast and our YouTube channel there, youtube.com slash untapped keg. The audio podcast is anywhere pod, you can listen to podcasts, untapped keg, social media, we're on every single platform and we're untapped keg. Nobody thought to like take untapped keg for anything. So we got it everywhere. Nice. And, uh, especially Instagram and Twitter. We're very active on both of those. Our DMS are open. If you need to talk, like no matter, I will get back to you as soon as I can. And I am genuine when I say, if you need to talk, I will be there for you. I will help you get any resource that you need. And you know what? I'll be your friend. Love to, love to hear it. And within, with the, the, the little amount of time that we've known each other, I, I 110% believe everywhere you just said, like 110%. Because we're so, so we're so supportive of each other, and I know, I know, I know. If anyone needs to to vent to help, um, just you know, I just want to get, I just need to get this off my chest, or you know, ask you questions about you know your sobriety and you know anything on that line. I know you'd mm -hmm. be open for that conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing, if you're just starting your sobriety journey, just know that it is a journey and it's yours. There is no right or wrong way. It's yours. And that's the most important part about it. Perfect. 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 All right, RJ. Um, I have one final question for you. Yep. You ready? Okay. Yes. Um, what does resilience mean to you? resilience it's such a it's such a powerful word right um when i hear resilience i think about skinny steve rogers in that back alley and getting up after getting the crap beat out of him and saying i can do this all day and then when he gets stronger and he's fighting thanos and all hope is lost What's his response? I can do this all day. That is when I hear the word resilience, that's what I picture. And it's not always pretty. It's not always heroic, 
but it's continuing to show up even when everything is telling you not to. Mm. That's resilience. That's resilience in action. That's wonderful. RJ, thank you so much for spending a little time with us this evening. Thank you for having me. This was, I, I love talking to you. So awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And I want you to remember one thing. Resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience.